Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. In this message, we are going to look at what it means for Christians to be in the world but not of it. And this topic was suggested by a listener who said this is something he struggles with, and admittedly, I do too, and regularly at that. But we need to stop here and examine very carefully the phrase I just used in my first sentence, being in the world, but not of it. And for just a moment, I am going to tie this initial portion of this message to our two-part series on factor fiction, where we discuss phrases that are not in the Bible. And wouldn't you know it, The phrase, being in the world but not of it, is another very common phrase hurled around by the church, that's us as believers, but is nowhere to be found in the scriptures. And as we did in our series on factor fiction, we looked at God's word to see if there was enough scripture to make this popular non-biblical quote valid. And in this instance, our quote, being in the world but not of it, has enough scripture to back it up for the most part. But once again, let's not get hasty with our words that we claim are God's that indeed are not. And again, my encouragement is to just stick to God's words exactly as they are written in the Bible. With that, we will now investigate what God's word has to say about the believer being on earth, but needing to live a life contrary to much of what the world has to offer. And there's no question that being a part of something and unable to separate ourselves from it, as in completely walking away from it, as is the case being trapped on this planet with nowhere else to go, is in fact quite difficult. It only appears to get harder, however, because when we are struggling with earthly desires, we are regularly advised, and I too give the advice when counseling, of separating ourselves from the things that are hindering us and causing us to stumble. And that is something we must do as Christians, and it is something that God tells us to do in his word. Wait a minute. So if I hear this correctly, we are being told to walk away from the hindrances, yet stay with them. And that sounds very contradictory in nature. So let's take a look at how all of this is supposed to work, and for that we will go to God's Word on the matter and take a look at how to resolve this. And we're going to start in 2 Corinthians 6.14, and it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And let's add to that 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And there is the believer's clear directive from God on how to interact with the world. But these two passages appear on the surface to do nothing more than promote more confusion on the matter. And it could very easily appear God just has us destined for failure because there is just no way out of this. Can't live with it, can't live without it, so there's no point in trying. Our problem is, however, we just read some words without carefully examining what God has told us in First and Second Corinthians. When we carefully study this, God has provided the answers on how to deal with our earthly circumstances and exactly how to separate ourselves from the world, and all while living in the thick of everything that isn't God-honoring. So let's take a look at this again, and this time very carefully, and that of our passage from 2 Corinthians, and it says, Do not be yoked or harnessed together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness or goodness and wickedness or evil have in common? Or what sort of fellowship that would be those gathering for a common cause or purpose, can light, good fellowship, have to do with darkness, bad fellowship? And that question asked of us in this passage is, how do you blend two things that are opposed to each other together? 
And that is the only question we need to answer. Keep this in mind as we go. Oil and water don't mix. They will not stay together. They will separate. The oil will always come to the surface, and while the oil is sitting on top of the water, and inasmuch is a part of the water by virtue of the fact it is touching it, it is still not one with the water. And looking at our first sentence from 2 Corinthians, we see this is the whole of the verse. The remaining two sentences are simply two definitions to clarify or expand on the first sentence. So what is the meaning of the first sentence? Paul is using a retro-farming term here. The yoke Paul mentions is a device that was and is still used when more than one animal, ox or horse, for example, is needed to pull a wagon or plow. This device we call a yoke goes around the neck of both animals and locks them together and is used to keep the animals working in harmony with one another, such as keeping them at the same pace and going the same direction. And this is important because if the animals are not working in cooperation with each other, They will tire each other out, potentially get hurt, and all because they are fighting against each other. And this will only hinder getting the job done with any sort of efficiency, or make it altogether impossible to get anything done. But this yoke is only good for one thing, and that is locking the two animals together, locking them into a relationship, if you will, and for better or for worse. But the yoke does not dictate the relationship of the two animals. So it is the farmer who must know his animals' personalities and abilities very well before yoking them together. The farmer must know the two animals are of equal strength, equal height, and have equal stamina, and most importantly, are able to get along with each other. And if both animals do not share all of these qualities, there will be problems. Again, both animals will be attempting to do two different things and will ultimately fight against each other, and that will lead to nothing but chaos and zero progress. Consider this. A group of animals may be able to contend with each other in a barn, but when they are locked together, forced to comply with each other, that can quickly become a different story. And so far we are seeing that we can be around all sorts of people in our daily life, but it may not work to be bound together in a marriage or business and living together, and in some cases even friendship, although it is a lot simpler to walk away from a friendship than a marriage or a business partnership. Worth repeating, A bunch of animals may be able to coexist together in a barn, but only the animals that have equal values and disciplines will be able to coexist when bound together. And this is why God says, do not be unequally yoked. He knows it won't work otherwise, and just like with the animals, we will fight against each other, wanting to go our own directions and doing nothing more than failing. Ironically, we see this happening very naturally and in all aspects of our life. It really is just how people work. Yet for some reason, we try to force the issue on certain occasions thinking we can make it work because our circumstances are so unique. But they are not unique and have been attempted thousands of times before, and it always ends up the same way, a disaster. Just because I live in a neighborhood with several hundred or several thousand people does not mean we are all going to be compatible and get along with each other. Certainly there will be a group you can associate with and talk to and others you may even have over for dinner on occasion but likely you are not going to adopt them or ask them to move in with you. And why not? Because you just don't have what it takes in common for that level of relationship to take shape. And there is more evidence that we can be in the community, but not a part of it. One more example, my family goes to church on Sunday. My next door neighbor does not. So if we joined forces and attempted to be one happy family under one roof, 
there would very likely be a level of aggravation and disagreement over who goes to church and why, and I would be pushing them to go, and they would be pushing me not to go, and it would likely be miserable, at least on Sunday morning. But it wouldn't end there, because the conversation of religion would come up, and there would be points of contention, and I would like to prove my point, and they would like to prove theirs, and that would likely cause further aggravation seven days a week, where we would ultimately all regret the decision. Again, because we are not equally yoked. And it is the same thing with the community of believers and unbelievers. We can very easily live in the community of the world, on this planet with everyone, but that does not mean we have the same values and mission and obligations as others. Again, like a neighborhood, there will be some who are like-minded and others who are not, and that will likely dictate and should dictate our relationship. Going back to the animals being yoked together, there has to be a common bond, which is God but there must also be a common bond in the direction of both individuals. I think and hope at this point, the point is quite clear. Do not be unequally yoked, and even if you are, it will very likely not work out as you have planned. It should also be evident at this point that we can live in any community of people, but that does not mean we bind ourselves for a common goal with them. So what do we do if we are still struggling because we are hearing and seeing and having at some points to participate with what the world is doing and is all about and the many agendas that are not God-honoring? Are we supposed to get mad and throw a fit and protest? No. And nowhere in God's Word do we see any evidence of God calling Christians to do or respond in this way. But what we are to do is make sure we are very well yoked up with God to make sure we are aware of what we are doing and how to respond to what we are being asked to participate in. And when we are asked to yoke up with the world and we are seeking wisdom from God, He will always give us the proper way out. Let's take a look at Matthew 11:28:30, And it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And we need to do that. We need that reminder to get yoked back up where we need to be, and that is first with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is so easy to take off the yoke of the Lord and go yoke up with someone else. It is often quite fun to run off and experiment, but we always seem to regret it time and time again. A great example of yoking up with the wrong crowd is found in Luke 15, 11, 32, and the parable of the prodigal son. This analogy or parable from Jesus could not be more fitting for how we are to live and how many, if not all of us, have lived our lives at one point or another. And this prodigal son came to the end and knew he had no choice but to disengage from the world and yoke back up with his father. In case you aren't aware, the story of the prodigal son is based on the premise that the father in the story is God and the boy is us. And even when we are stubborn and stupid and get improperly yoked up, we can always repent and return for the right yoke and the right life. But this is not usually a one-time affair for most of us. Many of us will disengage from God and go do our own thing regularly and needing to repent and begging to go back into God's yoke that is easy and light and not a burden at all. Remember this, you are not the only one in this position. Christians all over the world, past, present, and future, have, been, and will be encountering the same things until Christ returns. Yes, folks, it's life, and we are called by God to deal with it. 
But like every good father, God gives us so much encouragement and instruction on how to deal with all of the many enticing things the world will have and offer believers. And one such encouraging passage and warning we find in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We see here God says each of us will have to resist the devil and stand firm in our faith. And if we don't do that, we will be facing a critical situation. This goes back to what Jesus said with regard to the prodigal son. The boy wasn't at all sober-minded or watchful, and the devil yanked him out of line and dragged him into his arena. And the passage closes that we are all in this together. Again, let's stop whining. How about a few more passages to help us through all of this? 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. How about Romans 12, 2? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And these two passages are likely where we got our non-biblical quote, be in the world but not of it. And they also provide very clear direction on absolutely not getting hooked up with the world as a believer. And we need to be reminded of this very regularly. There are a number of you who are listening to this who have been flirting with the world all week, and some of you who dove in head first. At this point, we have all the information we need on this subject. We know we are not to be unequally yoked because God says so, and because of that, it won't work out. We have multiple passages from God's Word that both encourage and warn us on what to watch out for and where we can go if we are tempted by Satan, and that to God, who will help us. But one last component, which I hope will be encouraging, and we will take a look at Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The question is, do you believe this? Are you truly yoked up and living as the salt of the earth? Are you truly yoked up living as the light of the world? Are you yoked up to even letting your light shine everywhere you go? And are you living this way because you are desiring nothing more than to give all the glory to your Father who is in heaven? And when we are yoked up to these things, we will be far less likely to fall into the many traps the devil has set for us. Again, I said far less likely because we are going to all fall and give into temptation. But we can repent and return to right living and glorifying God. And when you trip and fall and walk away from God, He is not surprised. You cannot surprise God and you won't get God angry. One last suggestion that often gets Christians off track and yoking up with the world is when we get twisted as to what others think of us, and most often in all the wrong areas. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of people or of God? 
Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. If we are seeking the approval of people and not God, we are yoking up with the world and not serving Christ. Because as we know very well, we cannot serve two masters, as in the world, and God. So let's live a life that is pleasing to God, a life that is yoked in the fullness, goodness, and love of our Lord God. Let's live really salty lives and very bright lives for all the world to see. Let's pray. Father, forgive us because we are truly a wayward, stubborn, and confused group of people. Help us to seek first your righteousness and your kingdom and your calling for us as believers and keep the yoke of righteousness on and live walking in step with you. Forgive us for constantly fighting and desiring our way and thinking we can do better and that we can yoke up with whoever we choose and then foolishly believe we can get away with it. We ask that you would teach us thoroughly when we take off and run to the world for answers and happiness and affection and keep us very unhappy when we do wander from you and unhappy long enough that we would no longer desire being separated from you. And we ask all of these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before we conclude, if you have a topic you would like addressed in a future message, please email your ideas to info at faceyourfaith.com. Please put your first name, state, and your topic suggestion. If your topic is chosen, you will receive an email and the date it is to be published online.